0: This week on the It's a Monkey podcast.
1: So this has just been a crazy year for podcasts. According to Edison Research, we saw the greatest growth year over year, uh, 2015 going into 2016. And now we're at the point where more than one in five Americans has listened to a podcast within the last month. So, you know, we're talking uh, that's that's a substantial number of people, right? I mean, that's over uh, 50 million Americans. And we're seeing that you know, a billion uh, plus listens per year dedicated to podcasts.
0: good morning good evening hello wherever you are in the world thank you for joining us on the it's a monkey podcast episode number 81 we are a podcast where we chat about everything relating to the tech economy entrepreneurship political economy issues startups it is episode number 81 and my name is kevin garba i'm the ceo of manage flitter and with me as usual is my co-host kate frappel who is the design lead at manage flitter kate thank you so much for joining us
2: it's good to be back again
0: Thank you. Um, a special uh, welcome to um, people watching us on Periscope live. We do tweet out when we Periscope it live. Usually, sometime on the Wednesday. It is Wednesday, the fifteenth of February for our Periscope users, and it's we publish this podcast uh, on. We'll be publishing this podcast on Friday, the seventeenth of February, twenty seventeen. As usual, we have a fantastic show lined up for you. And later on in the show, we're actually going to be talking about. Podcasting on our podcast, which is quite interesting. Um, we're going to be talking with Glenn Rubenstein, who has an agency that specialises specialises in podcasts and ads, selling ads on podcast networks, etc. And we'll be chatting to him a little bit later on in the show. As usual, uh, we talk about tech news. And uh, this week's tech news, we're gonna gonna give a little bit of a break to the Instagrams, the Snapchats, the Facebooks, which we so often talk about. And Kate, actually a story out of a social media platform that we don't often talk about, uh, Pinterest. Tell us what's happening with Pinterest.
2: Uh, So Pinterest are rolling out three new visual discovery tools. Uh, So the first one being called Shop the Look. Uh, This allows people to click on individual items and then they can so inside one image, right, they'll put little circles on, for example, if there's a, a girl wearing a jumper and a jeans with a bag, right? They'll put a dot on the bag, dot on the jeans, and a dot on the jumper. And then you can click on those dots and it will either take you to the store where you can buy them or show you similar items of clothing from other brands.
0: So this is a photo that you've put up, you've already taken this photo?
2: No, that's the next uh, feature they've implemented called Lens.
0: Okay, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about Lens. I found Lens uh, the, the the most interesting announcements of theirs. So Lens, as far as I understand, it's sort of like a Shazam for products, right? Yeah. So, so you you just actually point your photo, your your camera, I should say at a product or at a scene even. It doesn't even have to be a product. You can point it at a scene. In the example, David, they had a scene, I think, like an outdoor entertainment area scene. Yep. And it tags barbecue, chair, table, and you can drill down or it actually brings a stream um, of links that are related to that. Is that. Am I correct in saying something like that?
2: Yeah. So I think one of the examples I read was a an outdoor deck chair. Mm-hmm. You see it, you like it, you want to buy it, you don't know who makes it or what shop stocks it, but you can take a picture of it, put it on Pinterest and it in theory will show you where you can get it. Or if it doesn't find that, it will suggest other deck chairs similar.
0: But lens, I believe you don't have to actually take the photo, right? I think so. I don't think you have to take the photo. I think you actually just point at it.
2: Potentially. I mean, that's how Shazam sort of works. Mm. I think you just, but um, they do store your your shazams. If you know what I mean. So every time you've recorded a snippet, they'll store it.
0: Right, um, and of course this is only in beta, so it's not it's not um, out for public consumption yeah. yet. But I can see the value in that. They are talking about how often you'll see something, um, you'll remember it, and sometimes you don't even know what to Google around it. Right. So yeah. say you're out and you see. Um, an interesting uh, someone's taking a dog for a walk and they have an interesting dog leash that you'd like to buy for your dog and you're not exactly sure whether you should google um, new dog leashes interesting dog you're not quite sure what to do and this this in theory should help with that that you um, um, use this lens so to speak and it will find the appropriate products link you in know what to google and just i guess make it um, take the friction out of finding what you're looking for?
2: Yeah, so essentially um, it's sort of the, the Google reverse image search but inside Pinterest. Right. So there's already a feature that Google have where you can upload an image you might have found somewhere else and it'll locate what other websites are displaying that image. Do you use that much? Mm, not a lot. More in university when you had right. to like reference and source where you found your things. Right. Yeah. Is it but even the co-founder of Pinterest is actually quoted as saying you shouldn't have to put your thoughts into words to find great ideas. Mm. So that's sort of the backbone of this new feature.
0: It's true and it's a we really take for granted our generation, well, I think – I'm including myself in your generation, but we we almost separate generations. That we think in terms of googling. Jimmy, who we've spoken about on the show many times, I think he's 76. It's interesting to see how he doesn't think in terms of googling things. He'll mm. he'll sit and he'll wonder things, and then I will say, "Oh, we should just Google that." And he and he always says, "Oh, I never think of doing that." <laughs> you know,
2: it's like the first thing we think about.
0: It is, and this might be even you know the next level that takes it to the next step, and perhaps even. When we do have smart glasses in which we will eventually have some sort of smart contact lenses or smart mm. glasses or augmented realities, we can have a mode or um, y- you know some little button on your the frame and your lens and you push and it's it's something quite frictionless mm, where you
2: can tell um, exactly what that is and where you can get it from. Yep, helpful. There's a Pinterest aren't the only ones doing this. apparently Instagram have tried it as well, right Like integrating um, like uh, the shopping experience straight into the app and making it like reducing the friction between the social media platform and the the stalker website that you buy it
0: from now you 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 use pinterest quite a lot don't you i mean i think there's about 150 million people who use pinterest regularly i think there's approximately about 400 million people that use twitter regularly i think there's about 500 600 million that use instagram regularly and there's billions that use facebook regularly so but pinterest is on the lower end but it is quite niched yep so they're not even
2: advertising as a, a social media platform anymore they're a uh Search and discovery tool. Mm. Yeah, so it's like visual bookmarking.
0: It's fantastic when you need visual references. Like when we were moving into our new office and we were looking at fitting it out and coming up with some ideas, when you go into Pinterest and you look at good office fit outs and yep. things like that, boom, you've got it right ideas. there. Ideas. It's, yep. it's a great source of inspiration.
2: Yeah, I mean, the main reason I use it is just to collect ideas, collect images and sort them into boards, like which are, for want of a better word, folders.
0: Pinterest is also really unique and it was one of the only social media networks that wasn't seated, so to speak, in Silicon Valley. Pinterest actually grew out of housewives in the Midwest of the US sharing I don't know if it was recipes or food or what it was sharing, but there was quite unique in that way. So it's always had a different DNA yeah. to the other social media networks because mm-hmm. of that. And yeah, it's not really a so it, it it has social media elements to it, but its core is not conversation and engaging and no. I mean, networking. you can follow each
2: other. Like you, you definitely have like friends and and followers, and there's like you know. Accounts sort of Pinterest famous, I guess, and they've got thousands and thousands of pins. Um, but it's yeah, it sort of lacks that chatty element to it.
0: Okay, that's Pinterest. We'll keep an keep an eye. On, I'm going to actually log back into Pinterest. I haven't. I don't even think I have the app on my phone anymore.
2: Oh no! It's the actually the third um, the third visual tool that they've released. Actually, mm-hmm. is in the the home feed, which I really right. like, and so. Um, based on your interest, it displays all sorts of pictures. And then if you see something that you like, say it's um, pictures of dogs, for example. So there's one picture of a dog and then there's like plants and cameras. Uh, if you wanna see more of the dogs, then you click this little circle in the corner of the picture and it'll give you like another five, six images of dogs that are similar. Right. Right inside your home feed. Right. So it's good, you don't have to like actually think about typing words anymore.
0: Just and I think that's, you know, there's so much good content out on the net. It's a huge area of surfacing the right things at the right time. I think all these social media platforms are working hard at getting their algorithms right and surfing the right things at the right time because then you'll keep on coming back if there's a high signal to noise ratio, mm. and and they do the curation for you. Yeah, there's an be interesting
2: useful. feature too where they've got um you know, you take a snippet of that photo and uh, and it automatically displays stuff that's similar. So the idea is for, for fashion, right? So if you do it for jeans, it'll display all these other, other jeans. Mm. But in terms of like design and artworks, what I found was there'd be a particular pattern or a colour and you could zoom in on and it would find other things similar to that.
0: Almost like a genre, right? So if you would yeah. almost Shazam a certain song, if you Shazam, I don't know, you know Bob Dylan. It will bring up all these singer-songwriters. Yeah, type thing. Yeah, He's and, really and that's where. Smart. And that's where it's the same thing with Spotify. You know, I was lucky enough last year or two years ago to bump into the band Daughter, which are a relatively oh, well-known cool. indie da- indie band. I put, bumped into them at a the show by another indie band called Warpaint. And my friend who I was with at the time was quite bold and went up to them and, and spoke to Daughter and, and we spoke to them for about 20 minutes. And I actually asked the, the, um, one of the guys, I said, what do you think of Spotify? And he said, look, it's, it's definitely, you know, impacted bands commercially negatively. He said, but I use it even to discover new bands. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, di- the discovery side of Spotify is And even in the days when Pandora, which was the first streaming service, way back when, I mean, I don't know when Pandora first launched. It was ages ago. That's when you just first realized as a music lover, wow, the discovery. Suddenly you click on, a, you know, Bob Dylan radio, and suddenly there's a song that's beautiful you've never heard. And you've discovered that there's this artist that's been around for 20 years you've never heard of, and yeah. it's amazing. And so I can see with Pinterest how it's a bit unagriced. Uh, I'll skip that word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but similar to um, that where they, uh, you know, it, it, it discovers a similar style or genre. So I can see the value in that, particularly in fashion and, and those areas where um, mm. there's some type of discovery that you want to do as well.
2: Yeah. Well, the biggest thing as well is you, if you don't know your, um, you know, your different art movements or different styles of design, like if you can't think of the word for it, then – It's hard to find it, but here you can literally just say, oh, that corner of the image, Mm, and it brings up everything similar.
0: Computers, yeah, and AI and all of that getting very smart, getting Mm, very interesting. It's worth Um, checking out. Yeah. Elon Musk actually uh, said this week that, you know, the middle class is going to be decimated by automation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and they're pushing for this guaranteed income type philosophy is a whole other topic, which we should probably talk about someday of, uh, you know, where, where a lot of our jobs are going to be automated. So, um, AI and all of these tools by Pinterest and Spotify, there's a lot of AI and and, and machine learning involved in them and it's just Definitely. getting better and better. Another interesting story, which I really liked when I, <laughs> when I saw the story, the future is here. <laughs> Dubai plans to introduce flying drone taxis as early as the summer. Kate, how cool is this? Pretty cool. Pretty cool, right? They're using, Tobias are considering using the Ehang 184 Autonomous Quad Opener Electric Drone to ferry people through the air. Now, this drone is a one-person drone, right? And it's already, I'm looking at a photo here. It was at CES. It looks like a tiny little uh, chopper, a giant autonomous drone. Um, it was founded in 2014 and raised about 50 million in venture funding. Um, and D- Dubai are looking at rolling it out, and it's for real, and it's a it's an unmanned drone, and you hop in, and it ships you across the city and lands.
2: Yeah, it's interesting as well. The the two articles I was looking at, one which mentioned it being at CES, uh, and that article says at the bottom, oh, it'll be a few years until right. we see this technology in use, and now. The most current article says it'll be here in summer. Fantastic! So it's I mean, quite a big leap.
0: I mean, huge um, kudos to the first city that pulls this off, right? Mm. Well, it's um,
2: looking like Dubai.
0: And um, I mean, the, obviously, there's huge safety issues and things that they really have to have to have um, that they have to have right.
2: Yeah, I think I read there that they can, um, in terms of safety, they'll land it. Immediately, if uh, if the passenger needs to needs to land, I was like, well, where are you going to land it? Yeah, Yeah, it's not like there's a you know a helipad on every building or anything.
0: Yeah, it's, well, we'll definitely watch the story with interest. The E-Hang One Eight Four is a drone that can carry one passenger with a maximum weight of two hundred and twenty pounds. I think that's about hundred kilos or something around yeah. there for a distance of thirty one miles. So what's that? Seventy kilometers, something around 50. there. Fifty. I wish America, dear America, please go metric. It's enough. <laughs> it's like really um, okay, fifty kilometers, which is pretty far on one charge, and a top speed of a hundred miles per hour, which is what one hundred and eighty kilometers an hour, something like that. One hundred and sixty. Um, <laughs> see, Kate. <laughs> Kate's one of my. She's such a fantastic team member. Always prepares, right? <laughs> I had to Google this. <laughs> uh, Not naturally this much. <laughs> Dubai officials will remotely monitor the drones and pilot them from a centralized command center. And the city says it's already started test flying the vehicle in Dubai sky, so this just isn't pure bluster. Fantastic, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see how this is gonna play out. And of course, wow, I mean, we can, the is finally here where, where you'll walk around and you'll see these little drones. And of course, the advantage with um, self-driving vehicles is they it's very easy for them to ha- to know exactly where the other is and to coordinate with each other. Mm-hmm. Humans can find that quite difficult. That's why we have to have roads and traffic lights and sure. things like that because we can't have an automated sense and know where everyone is. But vehicles, they can... No problem them knowing where another thousand vehicles are and how it impacts them and what uh, routes they have to take, it's not a problem at all in the scheme of things, super, super easy, even in a three dimensional environment like flying, it's not a problem at all Mm. and um, a lot easier for computers to do than pilots to do so in theory. Um, shouldn't be a problem as all, at all as long as the basic safety and engineering and uh, checks and balances and if the battery suddenly runs flat or something yeah. something like that happens.
2: Well, they do say that this um, e-hang will be uh, remotely monitored by officials. So I'd love they to know to, what that entails.
0: They have to take that over, right?
2: Yeah, so the, the actual passenger only puts in their destination into a map and then they just sit back. Yeah. So they don't have any control.
0: Would you take one?
2: Um, maybe eventually, yeah. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be an early adopter.
0: <laughs> no, I would definitely wait a few years personally. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it's fine. But if something will go wrong, it will go, it will go
2: catastrophically wrong, yeah,
0: catastrophically wrong, and the wheels will come off, um, although, yeah, um, t- terribly. But, um, you know, I'm sure they realize that um, the stakes are pretty high. And it will, you know. But this is something mm. that cities. It would be fantastic if cities realised the, the marketing potential of things like this. If Sydney mm. was that progressive and doing things like that, and
2: it does seem like a big leap, though. I mean, we don't even really have uh, that big of an industry around just delivering packages via a drone. Do you know what I mean like? I feel like the first thing to change would be like the mailing system. But I mean, humans
0: are essentially just packages, though, right? Maybe. I mean, there's not that much of a difference. But you're We're just hundred like, kilograms. Material goods versus it's lives. It's true. <laughs> the stakes. The stakes aren't as. The stakes aren't as high. I mean, I think it's quite an inefficient. What, what worries me is to have a drone in the air for one person. The visual pollution, the noise pollution for one person. Yeah. You know, from a policy perspective. I mean, it's great novelty appeal and in terms of technological advancement. Do you want to live in a city where there's drones buzzing overhead? I, I mean, I don't Depends particularly... Depends if they're noisy or not. I mean, they'd probably be relatively silent eventually, mm. especially if they're electric. Um, I wonder how expensive they would be. I think they... they for one ride. For one ride, yeah. Mm. I mean, I think a four, five, ten-person drone. Now, to me, that makes a lot of sense because at least you're getting a little bit of, mm. the, you know, efficiencies and economies of scale. So, have everyone in their own little flying drone. I mean, in big mm. cities, you know, you, in Sydney's got four million people, and how many people take trains every day? And what? Suddenly, yes. you're going to have, you know, millions of little drones. Anyway, okay. And I, I from a policy perspective. You know, maybe make it expensive, tax it, and put that back into trains. The Trains are the only thing that really can scale in cities at this stage, mm. you know, to move a lot of people quickly.
2: Yeah. What I found interesting, it's sort of a bit of off topic, but with trains is, so in Sydney we have like double-decker trains, so we have two levels in every carriage, and then on some lines, they're looking to change that back to a single level again. Mm-hmm. And I know lots of other countries only have single levels. I think Melbourne also has single level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see how that's how that's scalable. Like, why not build all trains with two levels? I mean, there's only going to uh, be more people.
0: There's a lot of politics in transport and a lot of vested interests. Um, Sydney trains are quite slow compared to a lot of other cities. They're bigger, but yeah. they're slower. I mean, New York trains are quick. They stop quickly, they start quickly. Sydney trains, sometimes it's all a bit laid back, you know. Mm. It's a little bit, they, they sh- if anything, they should speed them up a little bit. <laughs> a
2: little bit. Oh, they've improved the, um, the train announcements. Have you noticed lately?
0: There have been improvements across the board. Yeah. Get
2: some interesting characters announcing the stops and hoping everybody had a lovely
0: day. To our customers, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, you're listening to episode 81 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Please email us, podcast at it'samonkey.com. You can actually email an MP3 uh, file and give us some comments and we'll give your company a shout-out on the show we love hearing from our listeners um, give us a review on itunes follow us on facebook follow us on twitter stay in touch with us we're going to take a short break and we'll be back um, with our interview with glenn rubenstein talking about podcasts after the short break hi this is dave with ManageFlitter. flitter manage flitter is a tool that helps you work smarter and faster on twitter
2: with manage flitter you can clean up and grow your twitter account You'll also get useful Twitter
0: analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com and start your free trial today. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. We talk about everything tech, um, startup, tech economy, entrepreneurship. And interestingly, we're going to go a little bit meta on this podcast. And it's something I've wanted to talk about for a little while is we're actually going to talk about podcasts on the podcast. So um, at the end of my Skype line is Glenn Rubenstein, who's the founder of adopt uh, um, Adopter meet and author of the book Podcast Advertising Works. Glenn, thank you for joining us on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, Over the last sort of 18 months or so, maybe two years, but particularly over the last 18 months, podcasts seems to have exploded. And on Twitter, everyone's tweeting out about their podcast or another podcast or all the uh, traditional media agencies. I see Bloomberg launched a tech podcast a couple of months ago. Um, Tell us a little bit of the lay of the land about uh, the the podcast, um, you know, State of Affairs.
1: So this has just been a crazy year for podcasts. According to Edison research, we saw the greatest growth year over year, uh, 2015 going into 2016. And now we're at the point where more than one in five Americans has listened to a podcast within the last month. So, you know, we're talking, uh, that's it's a substantial number of people, right? I mean, that's over uh, 50 million Americans and we're seeing that, you know, a billion uh, plus listens per year dedicated to podcasts. This year started off with people estimating that podcast advertising was going to be worth somewhere between 50 to 75 million. And everyone that I'm talking to that I work in this business with is saying, oh, that's much too low. That's much too low. I think unofficially podcast advertising spending has broken a hundred million this year and it's only going to get bigger as we head into 2017.
0: So what's uh, I mean, podcasts have been around for a while. I think probably I don't know two thousand or two thousand and four, somewhere around there. And uh, I mean, what's what's really uh, kicked off this sort of critical mass of growth over the last little uh, you know year or so?
1: Well, it's interesting. You know, I had to consolidate this history down uh, when writing my book and just talking about the history of podcasts and how podcast advertising came about. And what's amazing is you're absolutely right that podcasts sort of grew organically uh, as digital audio, almost, you know, radio uh, released in digital form between 2000 and 2004. And then what we saw is it tapered off after that. It was a bit of a buzzword and it really came back with a vengeance um, once smartphones were readily available and you no longer had to sync MP3s to your iPod to listen to podcasts. You could just, you know, click a button and start listening. And from there, we've just seen year over year just amazing growth as the technology gets easier to consume these. And with that, with that growth has come bigger and better podcasts. And I think really the the turning point to where this went from, you know, an emerging sort of fringe medium where people could get, you know, for instance, tech oriented podcasts or business oriented podcasts is when we started to see it become an art form and medium undo itself with podcasts like serial and startup, um, all the work that's been done in the comedy space and I, but I would really say serial in startup, um, you know, specifically like 2014 is when things really just blew wide open. And now it's, it's starting to, you know, replace radio for many people. It allows us to listen to what we want, when we want and, uh, programming specifically about the topics that we want with the personalities we want to hear. We're no longer victims of what's on the radio. Uh, you know, and just what people are offering us, we can really seek out our own, uh, our own interests. And just now it's, it's gotten to the point where it's just insane. I mean, the amount of podcasts just seems to be growing uh, at an unprecedented pace.
0: Do you think we've reached peak podcast? I mean, do you think it's going to plateau off? I mean, there's only so many... Uh, you know, hours that people can listen to, um, you know, content to, to I mean, it's, and it, it, almost, it almost feels, I've even noticed with myself, um, obviously being, you know, I actually started my life in, in live talkback radio and um, obviously now a tech company and the podcast. And I, and I even noticed myself that I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with my regular podcast because it's become, you know, really, really thinned out by the number of podcasts, um, you know, available.
1: Well, to an extent, I think that certainly it's becoming more competitive in terms of going after people's ears, right? Um, We have more options than ever. And maybe you're seeing that people are listening to the same podcast for a period of time, catching up on a podcast, sort of binge listening through a bunch. But there are more options available than ever. And I think because of that, people are going to get pickier and start rotating, you know, where they're devoting their time, effort and energy and what they listen to. And in a way, that's sort of an opportunity because it means that we're going to see more diversification in what people are subscribing to and what people are discovering, and this field, I think, uh, it, it presents the opportunity for not to be dominated by just these core players, um, you know, the Chris Hardwicks of the world, the Mark Mayrons of the world, uh, the startups, the twits, uh, all of these big players that have consumed a huge amount of audience share. Now, I think we're going to see a little more rotation, and it's going to give the give it a real chance, you know, for new new people to come on the scene and capture attention.
0: Do traditional media uh, formats, you know, newspapers, TV stations, do they understand the podcast phenomena?
1: Uh, Yes and no. I think some do, uh, but it's tough. You know, I really don't want to call anyone out specifically for not understanding the medium. But let me just say that. I've heard some content that is very, very good. I've heard some content that is very, very bad. And I think uh, the attitude in some places is, "Hey, let's really get in and understand this and create content that uh, that serves the medium well." And with others, it's like, eh, "Well, let's take some associate writers or producers and put them in front of a microphone and just, you know, we'll release it as a podcast because that's the hip thing right now." And uh, I think that to what you were saying, you know, being at sort of the peak level of podcasts, which I don't think we're at yet. By the way, I think we're going to see even Even more now, um, because as more and more people are realizing there's serious money to be made, they're trying to rush in to get their share of that. Uh, But I think that that's what's really going to separate the quality content from sort of uh, you know media companies just throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks.
0: Before we talk about sort of the advertising side of it, um, give us you know if someone's listening to this podcast and they've they they've been thinking of starting a podcast, give us a few tips of what. You see works in a podcast and, you know, even for someone who does an established podcast, um, you've obviously, um, you know, listened to a lot of podcasts. You have a lot of clients in that industry. Um, Sort of what are some takeaways for people that would like to start a podcast or already have one to improve it?
1: Well, here's the first big one. And it's amazing how often this gets overlooked. Your audio quality has to be on par with absolutely, what else is out absolutely. there.
0: Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm, oh sitting, I'm, sitting, yeah. I'm sitting in front of a, a broadcast quality mic that cost us 800 bucks or something similar, you know, a directional mic. And absolutely, I mean, one of my favorite podcasters, James Altucher, and I tweeted him many times saying, love the content, but your quality, man. And I've noticed over the last few months, he's just upped his game significantly. <laughs> but uh, couldn't agree with you more on that one.
1: And let me tell you, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here in front of my rig and, you know, just just a simple example more than a plug, because, you know, certainly they're not a sponsor, but uh, broadcast supply worldwide. I think I, I got a package with a Heil PR-40, a nice uh, boot, uh, boom uh, telescoping arm, uh, breakout box to hook into my computer. And it just, you know, again, it was like $600 for the complete setup. It's not hard. It's easier than ever for a very, very small investment to produce something that sounds just as good as the major media companies and major podcasters are doing. So you have no excuse for having bad audio. And it
0: lasts a long time. I mean, the the good quality audio equipment just, you know, will last you forever.
1: Absolutely. So that's number one. And, and I'm telling you that, uh, you know, no, uh, no sponsor and certainly very, you know, audiences won't take you seriously if you don't sound good. Remember your voice is going to be going directly into people's ears. They're going to be spending time with you, whether it's in their car or with their earbuds on. And it sound quality is just, there's no reason not to, to have a good sounding podcast. So that's, that's, Number
0: 1. But tied in with that is the editing process and that's actually something we've struggled with a little bit. Once you get multiple voices, um, you know, we do the interview on Skype and then I chat with my co-host Kate and she's in you know in the studio with me on, an, on another mic and we bring it into Logic and you know, uh, we're not audio engineers and that actually you know the the editing process is also part of the quality and that's where I find it can get a little bit trickier more than just having a great quality mic.
1: Yeah. Interviews can be tricky because you're interviewing people that might be using a headset mic, they might be using earbuds, but the good news is that, you know, audio tools are readily available to where you can clean up the sound and, uh, really make it, you know, make it shine, make it sound, uh, consumable. So I think that's certainly, uh, the first part of the equation. The second, now, if you're looking to start a podcast, what is your unique hook? What are you bringing to this medium? That no one else is. And the reason I say that is, you know, look, look through iTunes, just look through Stitcher, see what else is out there and realize there are podcasts on so many topics that you have to come at it from a unique approach. Um, Unless you have a massive following already, you need to give people a reason to pay attention to you. And with that, you know, it can't just be the quality of the of the conversations that you're having. You have to be able to, to do your elevator pitch, as it were, and explain to people in two, you know, two sentences. What, what, what's your log line? What's uh, what's your podcast about? And hopefully it's compelling.
0: One of the criticisms I have of the current state of podcasting is that most people are going for these hyper niche podcasts, and um, y- you know, based on one interview. and I, And I think that's fantastic to some degree, but it's also, in a way, it also lacks a little bit of intimacy and a little bit of personality. I mean, we try to make our show a little bit, little bit more magazine like, a little bit more conversational, a little bit of, of of warmth and intimacy. I mean, what are your thoughts about going that hyper niche one? interview? interview versus making uh, something a little bit broader. I agree it can become self-indulgent and tedious and boring as well. So that's where it can actually get tricky.
1: Well, I think it works for the right personalities, you know, because that's what people are listening for. You know, I, you know, I've listened to episodes of your podcast and I find you quite pleasant to listen to and very entertaining. So with, with the right personality, I want to spend time with that person you know that and that's really part of the reason transitioning to why the advertising works is because we're spending time with these voices these people that we we almost feel like are friends you know in a way uh, or or their advisors they're authoritative uh, experts authoritative experts as it were and you want you want to be uh, if you, your personality isn't necessarily the most likable, then maybe you want to veer towards hyper niche in the sense that, okay, we know exactly what we're getting when we listen to this, but your likability and, and intimacy, that credibility of connection with your audience is super important on all levels of your podcast succeeding, both in terms of uh, building an audience base and definitely in terms of getting sponsors.
0: Okay, great. So any, any other tips on, on, on uh, kicking off a podcast?
1: You know, I would recommend also to get a bunch of episodes in the can and mm-hmm. recorded before you release it because right now we're seeing so many people that launch podcasts and they're just sort of cluttering up iTunes, right? They're cluttering up Stitcher where it's like hey, we put out the first episode and maybe there'll be a second episode, maybe there'll be a third episode. Um but consistency is so key that I mean, let me just tell you this is as, as a basic marketing tip for podcasts is that if you release a new podcast and you're going to hit new and noteworthy on iTunes, right? And you're going to be sending people to check it out from your website, from your Twitter following, from your email list, Why do you want them to go there and have one episode to listen to when they can go there and have six episodes to listen to, to get started with? And then you can release new episodes on a weekly basis after that. I think giving people that little backlog to start with is fantastic because I don't know how many times you've done this, but when I discover a new podcast, I... I, and I fall in love with it, I just want to keep listening to it. I want more and more and more. So why not take advantage of that opportunity when you have people's initial attention to, to get them fully hooked and entrenched and then start feeding them new content.
0: I've actually uh, been on long drives before Australia, like America is a big country, and I've been on 10-hour drives before where I've listened to one podcast, um, the whole series or as many as I can on on that whole drive. By the end of it, I really feel like – I often think to myself, I wonder if this host knows that they've kept me company for 10 (laughs) hours.
1: Isn't that weird? See, I have that experience when I meet podcasters because to me, I'm like, we already have a relationship. You know, they've spent all this time inside my head and I feel like, you know, I'm just listening to them and I'm captivated by them. And then I'll meet them in person or talk to them on the phone, uh, placing ads there. And I feel like I've known this person, you know, forever. I feel closer to some of them than I do my own family.
0: It's it's interesting. I mean, I was uh, I'm originally from South Africa, and I was in South Africa for the World Cup in 2010. And uh, one of my friends from radio there, D- Damon Calvari, he was uh, the 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 on air sidekick of a a very well um, known presenter called Gareth Cliff. Think think of mildly the equivalent of Heil, uh, Howard Stern. And we were at a <laughs> soccer game, and um, I was there with Damon, and uh, he's quite a loud, boisterous character. And a girl, um, a woman, turned her head and said. Oh my word I uh, I are you Damon? I, I recognize that voice. I recognize, and, and he doesn't have a facial sort of, uh, uh, you, you know, a physical profile. He's not on TV. He's not very well known, but she picked him out of the crowd. It's just, you know, it's just that identification was so strong that she just, wow. you know, picked him out of the crowd and noticed his voice <laughs> there and was very excited <laughs> to meet him in the flesh. So that intimacy, I mean, it's always been radio's strength. And obviously now podcast strength is, is that intimacy. It's an, an incredibly personal and intimate uh, medium.
1: It's funny, too, when you mention that, because if you look at the the pioneers of podcasting and those that pushed the medium along and brought new people into it, isn't it funny that, by and large, it was radio professionals? Um, uh, My former boss, Leo Laporte, great example of this, Mm -hmm. has been on radio and TV for 30 years, uh, started podcasting and was able to translate that connection into Twit and doing tech podcasts. Um, Adam Carolla, certainly, and leaving terrestrial radio and literally – uh, ending terrestrial radio on a Friday, launching his podcast on a Monday wow. and bringing a large share of that audience with him. Mark Mayron, you know, uh, worked at uh, Air America, which was a uh, liberal uh, radio network that was shutting down. And uh, he uh, produced the first episodes of WTF in their studios. Uh, so it's it's really interesting how that power of connection actually got more intense, right, and more intimate in terms of going to podcasting rather than just being on the air and being brought broadcast.
0: So, I mean, the reasons people start a podcast, I mean, we can just cover them, you know, quickly. I mean, we, um, you know, I mean, one of the reasons we we started a podcast for various reasons. One is I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Um, oh, definitely. Um, secondly, it's it's an excuse for our customers and potential customers to, to hear a little bit what we're about and the people behind the product. Um, thirdly, it actually gives me an excuse to reach out to interesting people such as yourself. It's a lot mm-hmm. easier to reach out to you and say, hey, do you want to have a chat about, you know, what, you, what what you're working on as opposed to just let's meet and have a chat but there I mean some people might actually want to make cold cash out of their podcast and that's <laughs> where <laughs> that's where someone like you know we hope it trickles through indirectly through our product but some people want to actually turn it into a business or a revenue stream I mean tell us a little bit of that that's I mean you knee deep in that side of things as well.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of money to be made in podcasts. Uh, you know, if you read the stories out there, I mean, you have people that that are now clearing millions of dollars a year through podcast networks um, or rather networks that are clearing millions of dollars a year. And uh, yeah, the business is worth easily $100 million this year. And what I would say is that if money is your first and foremost motivation, uh, podcasting might not be the best place to start. But that being said, if you do have a quality product and you have a decent audience, it doesn't even have to be a huge audience, but if you have a highly engaged audience, um, there is certainly money to be made by featuring ads on your podcast. What, what type
0: of numbers of regular listeners? I mean, are you talking 10,000, 5,000? It obviously depends how engaged they are and how niched it is, but just give us some sort of overall broad metrics.
1: I think 10,000 is a good number of viability. Um, There are some podcasts out there that make money with, with less than that, if they have a hyper targeted, uh, hyper specialized audience. But I think 10,000 is really the threshold, right? Where, uh, look at it this way, you're charging a CPM, you know, cost per thousand Uh on your podcast. So even if you're charging a $20 CPM, which is kind of in the standard low end average for the business, um, with 10,000 listeners, you're talking about $200 an ad, you know, which is, which is pretty good money, right? I mean, especially if you consider the amount of effort that's involved in producing a podcast ad. Um, So the idea is that you want something where it's sort of worth your while to to go through the process to uh, court sponsors or, you know, uh, interact with sponsors that are approaching you. And uh, I, I think that. 10,000 is about the number. Yeah. Where it starts to seem viable. Now, if you have a super specialized audience, I mean, let's say you reach 10,000 people and they're all entrepreneurs that are looking for stuff to start their businesses and improve their businesses and buy stuff, you might be able to get a $40 CPM. I mean, there are some entrepreneur podcasts are even getting a hundred dollars CPM, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And so do the math there, you know, at 10,000, you can get thousand dollars an ad. Um, and you could see how it scales and imagine when you hear about these podcasts, I mean about, you know, the sort of numbers that Bill Simmons is doing or Adam Carolla is doing or Leo Laporte's doing, and you have numbers that are in hundreds of thousands, you can understand where if you blow up, you could have a hugely successful business, but even at a small audience of 10,000, you could have a nice side income.
0: So in terms of, you know, you're mentioning these metrics, 10,000, 100,000, I mean, in terms of actually monitoring these metrics I mean there's the tools are pretty rudimentary aren't they I mean you can't really tell if someone listens to the end of a podcast I mean you can't tell if if they kick off or they download it any any sort of um, you know new tools or any techniques that you can actually get more accurate metrics around your podcast listeners
1: there's some, but I will tell you that because the, the business is making, you know, hundred million plus a year as is with the limited metrics that we have, which really comes down to server logs. I mean, it's like having a hit counter for unique IPs, essentially, um, regardless of the stat tracking service that you use. Uh, but because the business is is worth a hundred million and people are paying it, where it's not really in the industry's best interest to drill down in these metrics. Right. And, you know, uh, Lex Friedman, chief revenue officer at Midroll, had a great quote. On a podcast, which was uh, you know we might improve the metrics, but we're still going to charge you the same end end amount because the market has proven that people will pay that. Uh, so it might change the calculation for how we get to that end amount, but it's still going to be the same cost, as it were. Uh, so right now it's CPM based, based on streams or downloads, which are essentially that they're hits uh, of, of people you know accessing the MP3 file based uh, on a you know one time per IP address and uh, Where it really shakes out, though, is so that's a rough estimate, right? So let's say that, you know, your stats show you that 10,000 and change people listen to your episode. So, okay, if you consistently are doing north of 10,000 downloads per episode, then 10,000 is your baseline. That's what you're going to charge people out with a CPM. But the key is this. You're absolutely right that even though there's 10,000 downloads, we don't know how many people actually listened to it, made it five minutes in, 20 minutes in, all the way to the end of the podcast. But here's what we do know, is that if I charge somebody a $20 CPM for your 10,000 listeners, so they pay $200 to advertise on your podcast, I can guarantee you that if they do not see a return pretty close to that $200 on that specific ad, they're not coming back.
0: Sure, that's what it comes uh, down to at the end of the day is uh, whether, exactly. they, whether they get a payoff from it.
1: It's all return on investment people do not care about what the numbers are unless it's a situation where an ad just bombs. And then it's like, Hey, can we just verify that like to 10,000 people really download that if we made zero sales, those are the only times when I see people, you know, really uh, concerned about mm-hmm. that. But by and large, this is an ROI driven business and that's what brings people back show after show month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year. And I'll tell you when you hear some of these sponsors that have been on podcasts for years, they're not just doing it cause they like the podcast. They're, ma- they're making money. They're seeing a profit. And, uh, you know, I point to that when talking to advertisers that want to get into this, that's actually the benefit that more established podcasts have right now is a track record. You know, as a new podcast, your greatest challenge is going to be proving to your first advertisers that it's going to work for them. Because, you know, if I'm selling a podcast that's been around for five years, I have a rich advertiser history that I can show to any uh, potential advertiser and say, hey, look, you know, Sponsor X has been on the show for five years. Sure. You know, that's, that's showing that it's working for them.
0: Do you use any other podcast tools, not so much for creating podcasts, but for listening to podcasts? You mentioned Stitcher. You mentioned iTunes. I use a play on my Android podcast, Republic, which I, I really like. Any other sort of listening or curation tools that you use that may be of interest to someone listening to the show?
1: You know, I think Overcast is great. I like their features as far as what you can do with audio quality and the, and the ways that you can tweak your listening experience. But for me, I got to tell you, iTunes does a really good job. You know, they have, they have people, they have a department that, that curates what they're showcasing there. And uh, for me and what I do in my business, it's important to just look at what's new. You know, what are the new podcasts that are out there? And I know also that if it's on iTunes, that it's someone that went through the legwork to sort of do this the right way, um, you know, to get their podcast there. And if it's being featured, that's usually uh, even a new and noteworthy, right? If or if it's hitting the charts, I know that there's a certain criteria of quality that's being met. I'll tell you what drives me crazy is I see people releasing um, new podcasts. And these are names sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, or they're, they're minor names. And they'll post a link and they're only publishing it to SoundCloud. You know, that's where you find it or they're publishing it on their website like that's the only place you can get it. It's very, very important to make those RSS feeds available and to just publish them every single place that you can.
0: It is such a big bear of mine that to find RSS feeds for podcasts, it, it is sometimes so difficult to find. Um, you know, Sometimes they they only putting it, as you mentioned, on SoundCloud or YouTube, or sometimes they've got an error on the, pod, on the RSS link. There's someone that's actually even created a little online tool where you put in the iTunes link for the podcast and it spits out the clean RSS feed. Uh, which is actually really useful, because sometimes if it's only on iTunes and you're not using iTunes, it's actually quite tricky to find the RSS feed to put into your podcast uh, program that's not iTunes.
1: yeah, and it's it's so important just to figure out how to do that. And you know, and there are tools out there. I mean, you could see that that people now are starting to experiment more with this. Um, I mean Libsyn is a good example. Libsyn will publish you to many of the top uh, podcasting portals. Uh, many of the portals will pick up feeds from other sources. Uh, they'll even, you know, spider iTunes, uh, just to make sure that they've got everything there. Uh, but it's important to know what the platforms are. And you're, you know, it's funny you mentioned YouTube. YouTube is one of the ones a lot of people don't realize. It's like, why don't, even if you're a podcast, you know, some podcasts are audio and video, but even if your podcast is audio only just toss up a graphic, you know, drop it into a uh, windows movie maker or, um, iMovie, you know, even if you don't have a Premiere, and just publish a video version to YouTube so people can consume it there as well. You want to be as many different places as possible with your podcast. And then what you, the important thing then is to figure out, you know, if you're doing something like YouTube factor in those numbers as well, go to YouTube, get your YouTube numbers, get your SoundCloud numbers and then factor that in with your reporting on something like Libsyn, you know,
0: uh, YouTube's, Great for discovery as well. So people stumble onto all sorts of things on YouTube. We experimented yesterday on our um, episode 71 that's going to be um, sort of broadcast tomorrow um, with uh, live streaming it on Periscope as well whilst we're actually recording it. You know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things, you know, everything takes effort and everything's headspace. And I think people should should focus on quality is the number one. But it's fun to experiment with the with the little bits and pieces and definitely dumping it on um, YouTube is 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 pretty um, straightforward. But if, if someone's putting together a podcast, just make sure I mean. I think RSS feeds are a slippery concept for people that aren't technical. So I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, f- for them to to test their own RSS feeds and understand what it's like. But if you are putting a podcast together, make sure you chat to your tech person and just say – is it easy for someone to find the RSS feed? And, you know, that will allow someone to just copy and paste that into any um, podcast, um, you know, program and, and and then sort of listen to you. Not everyone uses iTunes as well, especially Android people. Um, don't yes. Use, don't use iTunes. I don't use iTunes. I used to in the old days. I don't use iTunes anymore.
1: You know, they're still really good with it. I know Google Play has launched podcasts um, this year, but I don't know uh, because, again, I'm an iOS user, so I don't really know how good they are with their curation uh, of podcasts. But I know that they're available on that platform now. Spotify is another one that has made podcasts available. And then, of course, you have like the tune ins, the stitchers, the iHeart radios of the world. But I have to say, I mean, Libsyn, um, you know, from what I understand, it's it's a couple bucks a month and they will do your podcast hosting and uh, blast you out there to a lot of the top portals iTunes. Obviously included. So I recommend services like that if if you're just not a technical person at all. That's a great way to do it. And then going back to YouTube for a second, you know, one thing, if you want to do a podcast that's got a live feel to it and doesn't require a lot of editing, you can record. Pub, you can record live on YouTube and even have a chat where you can have, uh, you know, people watch you recording live by doing a hangout on air through YouTube and uh, using Google Hangouts to, to record and then just, you know, download the, uh, the video file after that. Take the audio out of it and then bam, you've got a podcast.
0: So Glenn, uh, add it up to media. You guys uh, work with podcasters and advertisers and try to stitch deals between the two?
1: Yeah, so we're sort of a hybrid model. Um, on one hand, we have podcasters, uh, a select group of podcasters that that we really you know, think are incredibly strong, um, are doing great content, and we know that how to get ads for those specific topics. And what we do is we'll control their entire ad process in terms of securing ad deals for them, negotiating ad deals, and doing the reporting. We're full service in that capacity. But the larger part of our business is that we work with advertisers. And there are many advertisers out there where we are their exclusive podcast advertising agency. Uh, they will come to us and say, Hey, we want to get in this space. Can you identify podcasts that would be a great fit for our product and service, help put together a budget, a media plan, negotiate rates, negotiate prices, come up with creative and really secure and execute these campaigns for them. So we, uh, you know, go back and forth on where we think the the real business is in the long term. But I have to say, bringing new advertisers into this medium and educating them about this, you know, bringing them into this medium and helping them succeed. That's been just a really great process. And we're seeing a lot more growth on that front as more and more advertisers want to get into the space.
0: Terrific. Glenn Rubenstein from Adopter Media. We'll put uh, all your links on the, our show notes. A really interesting chat. I'm sure uh, the podcast industry is, is going to continue to go from strength to strength. And I'm sure we'll hopefully some, see some really interesting uses of, you, you know, some interesting ways that people are going to be using this format. And uh, we, we're lucky to be involved in, in such an intimate medium, so to speak. And I appreciate your time. And thanks for joining us.
1: No, thanks for having me. And I encourage people definitely check out the book on Amazon. And if anyone has any questions, feel free to shoot me an email. I'm Glenn at glennatadopter.media.
0: We'll put all the details on the show notes on itsamonkey.com and they'll be able to track you down from there.
1: Fantastic. Thanks. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links and broken images all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free.
0: Kate, there's been a real interesting explosion of podcasts over the last couple of years where every, so my, every now and then on my Facebook feed, someone's like, I've just discovered podcasts. Can people tell me what your favorite podcasts are? And people have really discovered podcasts, I think, because on demand, just like people discovered Netflix, on demand is just so much more pleasant generally. Generally, yeah. there are exceptions. But generally, it is so much more pleasant when you can hone in and listen to what you want to, when you want to. And ad-free, or at least very very light on the ads, mm. compared to commercial um, TV or radio.
2: Yeah, he does make a good point about seeking out your own interests and not being uh, limited by what the radio stations want you to listen to.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and it's... Um, you know, they're relatively easy to put together. I mean, I mean to put anything together takes effort. But compared to the old days where you needed a broadcasting license and a broadcast mm. studio, you know, and literally anyone can fire up their own podcast today with a microphone and a computer. Mm. And I think the podcasts that do the best are the highly niched podcasts. And, um, you know, it's become obviously much more competitive we've been doing this podcast for a while and um and it's it's people are you have to keep the quality up the whole time we've noticed you know there's a big spike when there's higher profile guests and people like hearing from well-known smart people so you have to just like blogging or any types of content work you have to really keep the content up but i think podcasts also the advantage of blogging is i think most people find talking more fun than writing, I think.
2: Mm, I don't know. You don't agree? I, I prefer writing. You do? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it depend, depends on the person. I think talking sometimes is easier to consume and you can multitask. If you're listening to something, you can keep doing something else. Whereas if you're writing something, yeah. it's, you can't really do two at once.
0: No, you definitely can not write and do something else. What What are some of your favorite podcasts that you listen to?
2: Mm, there's one. Uh, I don't listen to all that regularly, uh-huh. but uh, there is one that I don't mind called Being Boss. huh. So it's. I two. think I, I
0: think I think that's uh, on. I, I've got a list. I'm subscribed to. I don't know, thirty or forty. It's one of those on my list. Yeah. I don't think I've ever listened to it
2: though. No, it's two entrepreneurial women, and they just sort of they have guests as well and they do short snippets but also long form ones as well uh-huh. and, yeah they really mix it up it's quite interesting
0: any others uh,
2: there is one other uh, escapes me now
0: i listen to a lot of podcasts a lot on the sort of entrepreneurial side of things um, james altercher i really like his podcasts there's a author christopher ryan who's a sort of sociological, anthropological author, and, and he does a very random podcast with random guests around the world that he meets. Um, they, He's quite interesting. Another one of my favorite non-business ones is a woman called Krista Tippett, and she interviews really interesting... I want to use the word spiritual people, but that's a bit airy-fairy. It's not really... Like, for instance, he's got Alain de Botton on his podcast talking about some and and she's got very famous poets and very famous authors and um, you know uh, famous buddhist monks and and people like that so she's uh, she's a fantastic interviewer and that's definitely one of my favorite non-business podcasts there's some really really good Uh, business podcasts out there. Some really outstanding. Stanford put together a podcast series where part of one of their entrepreneurial courses has a guest every week and they put that up as a podcast when classes are in session and they've had the who's who on, on this podcast. So they're an incredible way to listen and learn and especially when you're exercising or cleaning and sometimes I'm in the mood for more formal, rigorous Discussion. Sometimes I'm in the mood for less uh, businessy and something more light and conversational. And that's definitely what we try to do on this podcast is we try to have something that's a little bit lighter and more conversational. That if someone wants a bit of company while they're doing something, feel like they're sort yeah. of with us as opposed to just a yeah, nice factual interview. Um, that's what we try to do. Radio was always a very intimate medium and people would listen to radios to keep them company and mm-hmm. and um, sometimes I find, especially this, some of the business ones, they're very in and out on the interview and they very um, you can learn a lot, but I wouldn't say they there's no sort of warmth in them that it doesn't yeah. feel like you sitting in a room with them. And I with this podcast I've always wanted it to be that people are almost sitting in on an interesting discussion with us, but at the same time learning a few things along the way.
2: Yeah. So before I forget, the name of that podcast was This American Life. Oh, that's a popular one. Yeah, that's very...
0: Very well-known one. And, of course, some of these very well-known podcasts, they have huge production teams. I know even Jason Calacanis, he does This Week in Startups. And they live stream it. They do an audio, video. They've got a high-profile guest. I mean, I think he's got a team of three or four. That's pretty good. You know, so he's got a lot of people working on it and um, to, get, to keep that production value and keep that regular and the quality of the guests. And, you know, everything does add up with quality. But... Um, in terms, sorry, of of effort if you'd like to maintain quality. But to do a Mm -hmm. half hour regular podcast, um, it's not that difficult. But like with everything, it does take effort. But you do need to commit and stick to it. That's definitely when you, you reap the rewards. And podcasts are a great reason to Reach out to interesting people, right? Yeah. Like David Hanuman Hansen. I mean, I couldn't have emailed him and said, Hey, I'd like to just have a Skype chat with you. He's going to be like, mm, Thanks, but you know, I'm yeah, a busy guy. But no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and fair enough, right? Yeah. But to say, Look, be on our podcast and, you know, people want to hear what you have to say. So it gives you a bit of an excuse to, to meet interesting people along yeah. the way. So if you're in a niche and it doesn't matter what that niche is, if you make harps or you teach a type of dancing, there is someone out there that, that would like to learn more about the knowledge you have and, you you know, kick it off. Do, do a once every two week podcast and once a month podcast. Mm-hmm. And anyone I know that's gotten into radio podcasting, they get bitten by the bug. They enjoy it. Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. The... Back on a uh, previous point you made about people listening to the radio, like in multitasking and just sort of feeling like they're a part of something and connected, uh, is these the new cars, you know, how they've got Apple Play and mm-hmm. uh, exactly Android Auto and Google Home. It's a very good point. Really cool idea that you can pick what podcasts or essentially like a radio station tailored to what you want to hear about.
0: Absolutely, you're not yes.
2: just sort of aimlessly flicking through channels to find a song that you like, or you know, two presenters that don't annoy you.
0: It's I've been on some very long drives, um, ten hour drives, and I've literally gone through a whole podcast series, one mm. after another after another, and it's fantastic. It's, it's it's or an audio book, and it's you know, radio. it's Commercial radios under a lot of a lot of pressure. It was their lifeblood. Was people in their cars. During yeah. the morning and during the evening, I still think there is a lot of value, you know, uh, breaking news and things like that and hyper local where people like to be plugged into their local environments. And so radio is never going to go away, but they're certainly going to have to fight a lot harder for the mind share of people because they are up against all this fantastic um, mm. content around the world. In the States, of course, they got satellite radio, which... Is in a way it's like cable TV, but for radio, and they got hundreds... You have to pay for it, a subscription, mm-hmm. and there's hundreds of channels, very niche channels. So there'll be channels where they talk about medical issues, the whole thing. Ch- they got doctors talking, and you can call in and ask them questions 24 hours. They've got a okay. show that's jazz 24 hours. They've got a show that plays Elvis 24 hours, and all these hyper niche. Um, like howard stern for example is on satellite radio i think bob dylan i think does a radio show on satellite radio Wow! so in the states they've got satellites as well we don't have satellites here i don't know why i would think if it's satellite it wouldn't be such a big deal just to you know leverage of that but there's obviously reasons why they don't you know we we only have a small population here so there's a lot of content out there and um plugging in podcasts into the the cars is it's definitely, I mean, interesting cars these days, one of the big reasons and their marketing for people to buy new cars is the, the all the new um, technology, and I'm not talking about mm. technology in the engine, I'm talking about the, the technology t- to access media and their phones and yeah. things like that. Connectivity. Connectivity. I saw there was an article today that, that uh, Jaguar was the first um, car manufacturer to include payments inside their car so that when you go to shell service stations, you don't have to the car just talks to the pump and it uses apple pay or android pay wow. and it just you you got obviously your accounts hooked in somewhere there so you just go in fill up your car and drive away and it sort of pings it sort of i guess like uber does you know there's no reason why you should have to take out your wallet and go and pay you just do what you need to do and it just pings it off your account right it's not bad everyone wins it's don't a, they
2: currently have a you know where you can have a selected amount or it's like a tap and go but at the pump
0: I think some pumps do, yeah, yeah but still this sure. this this even takes it one step, step further one step further, um where it's just totally frictionless, and that's the way it's going where it's all the payments are all gonna be um absolutely frictionless anyway. That's episode number 81. Please email us at itsamonkey.com if you'd like to say hello. We'd love to hear from you. Um, listen to some of our previous podcasts at it'samonkey.com, including a great show that we had with David Hanemeyer Hansen, which is breaking all our listenership records by leaps and bounds. So people loved hearing from him. We'll see if we can get him back on the show. And we'll be back next week with episode number 82. So thanks for joining us.
2: See you later.